0: Hey Siri, play Culture and Combos episode three. Only good vibes and conversations. I'm I got pride in my veins. It is gonna hate No, they cannot duplicate it. All the power that the bring. Authentic, the truth, and power. The youth, perception, perspective, wretched to riches. Life is a blessing. Always respect it. Talking multicultural knowledge, we are the edge, reaching new heights. So precision is the vision. Everything we do, we do it precise. Form, form, form. Hey y'all, hey. Welcome back to another episode of Culture and Combos The Podcast. So last episode, we went live on Facebook and had a tremendous response. So since we're all still home in the middle of pandemic, we decided to do it again. This time talking about protest and politics, what black consumers want from brands. Now, as you know, our agency has been doing multicultural marketing for 20 plus years now. And one thing we've advocated for forever is that black consumers more than any other race pay attention to what companies do, especially where companies stand on political and societal issues. But these past few weeks have caught some serious attention, with the recent video footage capturing the deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and even right here in Atlanta, Rayshard Brooks, plus the countless number of lives before then. Now, corporate America is waking up, and some brands have spoken against racial injustices, but some are still real quiet. So for this episode, what we want to talk about is what roles companies should play in addressing riots and racism, both externally and internally. So our two expert friends today are number one, award-winning writer, entrepreneur, professor, founder and editor-in-chief of the Burton Wire, which is a news blog covering anything that happens to people of color, Dr. Nasinga Burton. And our second guest is a content strategist for Culture Genesis and All Deaf Digital. He's also a culture and economics contributor for SiriusXM, and he's been named one of PR Week's 40 Under 40, Mr. Andrew McCaskill. So let's get right to it. Here is Protest and Politics.
1: We are live. Yay. So, we're going to begin our conversation tonight. Um, if you're just now joining, thanks so much for being on time and not CP time. You know, we sometimes do that. Um, but if you are joining randomly, welcome to Culture and Combos. This is a podcast that we have here at Precise Communications. I'm Nadia Felder, I'm the producer of the show. And we have decided to take this show live on Facebook because we're all in a pandemic still. That has not ended. Um, which we talked about last week on on Live as well, COVID and Black Coins. Tonight's uh, topic is protest and politics, and this is a topic we are super excited about. Um, But two things before we get started on this topic, I need everyone to do two things. If you are a viewer right now, I need you to do one, take out a pen and paper, because I guarantee you gems will be dropped tonight, and you are going to want to write them down. The second thing I want you to do, is make sure if you have any questions if you get inspired tonight to say something comment but particularly if you have questions go ahead and feel free and drop them in the comment section and i will be on the lookout on our facebook live and make sure that we get those answers so before we start let me introduce our actual host um and then i'm going to get out of here alexis david smith she's our ceo for Size communications she's a multicultural marketing expert Um, she's a famu alumni let me make sure i say that she's a hbcu alum OK, because I didn't say that the last episode. I think it's important for this conversation to say these are real experts, cultural experts right here. Um, and she also has been advocating for black consumers for the past 20 years. Uh, she's the, usually the face that no one sees behind these big brands, helping them to learn how to authentically engage with us. So that's Alexa. She's my boss, a.k.a. my mentor, my mentor. And she's going to kill tonight's conversation because these are actually her friends. So, yeah, good culture <laughs> so this is like an everyday conversation we're about to have you guys, so Alexis, thank you so much for hosting tonight, and the show is yours. Thank you, Nadia,
2: my amazing, amazing producer. So we've been talking about doing culture and convos for a couple of years, and it has truly, truly evolved from doing live events to a podcast to a Facebook Live. So this is actually our third episode and our second Facebook Live, but we did it two weeks ago and had such a tremendous and favorable response that we knew we needed to come back, but we really need to come back because there are some juicy hot topics that are going on in the PR and marketing industry and we all are aware of it if you aren't you must have been living under a rock and I hope that if you're a marketing communications you're very aware of what's going on and if there has ever been a time in our lives when that has been evident it has been over the last two almost three weeks Um, so I don't think there's not one of us who did not see the videos of the brutal killings and murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery we've also heard about Brianna Taylor but these are things that are not new we go all the way back to Emmett Till a gazillion years ago to you know Rodney King in 91 to Trayvon Martin like these are things that have been happening However, this is a time in our country that I believe is a pivotal moment. I believe that this is the civil rights movement 2.0 and amplified. So now more than ever, not only do we see the black community speaking up, but we're starting to see our allies who don't look like us also recognizing that these things are real issues. They're not things that are just in our imagination. They're actually happening. So... In our space, we have really truly been paying close attention to the companies that have spoken out. In the first couple of days, there were a lot of conversations about who's saying what, but who isn't saying anything. So the silence was deafening. And I think companies really started to wake up and recognize that they needed to say something. So we heard from everybody from Nike to Ben and Jerry's to, you know, the Nielsen's of the world to Coca-Cola. I mean, you name it, every single brand or every single company made a statement. So what we want to talk about tonight is what does all of this political, you know, uprising with the protests that we've seen not only in America, but across the world, what does that mean? Are we really on the crux of a new society, a new culture where we're going to see greater equality, where we're going to see more social justice. But we also want to talk about what role should companies play in political and societal issues and how should marketers and advertisers address racism? And most importantly, as multicultural consumers, particularly Black consumers, are we being loud enough? What else do we need to do to make sure that brands stick to the statements that they have released over the last couple of weeks. So on to my experts. So with the two of these guests, they are the perfect people to talk about this topic. And I will tell you, and I've said this to both of them, since we started talking about doing culture and convos, two of the main guests that we wanted and we wanted to put together was Nasinga and Drew. <laughs> <laughs> so Nadia and I have been waiting for this conversation. So I'm going to moderate, but I'm sure I'm going to do more listening than talking and asking questions. So looking forward to the conversation. So thank you both for joining us tonight. We appreciate you both.
3: Uh, thanks for having thank
4: me. Thank you. And I always like chopping it up with Drew because, you know, Drew and I will do the battle royale and then, you know, go have cocktails afterwards. <laughs> He's mature. He's 100%. mature 10% the ways in which I deconstruct topics. <laughs> okay. yeah, so the thing the
2: first question is for you, um, you know, as our working journalist who really lives and breathes this information on a daily basis and shares it, so the past couple of weeks has been a very trying time in America, like I said, um we had to actually witness. The deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. We heard about Breonna Taylor, like we know, these aren't the first things. So I'm believing that this is a time that this country's never seen before. I was talking to my parents yesterday. And I was asking them during the civil rights movement, do they recall as many white allies participating in the protests? And they said, no, they had never seen that before. So I just want to get your kind of historical perspective, considering that we saw the Rodney King video in 92. We saw the Eric Gardner video in in 2014. What do you think is different this time?
4: Well, I don't know if I think it's very different um, other than uh, technology and race have merged again they have intersected so for example during the civil rights movement and there have been many um in this country but the one that we focus on mostly is during the 1950s and 60s um, you had the invention of television in 1948 right um, and then people did not know outside of the united states how blacks were being treated in the united states until journalists started sharing that kind of footage overseas because there was actually footage so you have radio but you didn't have uh television right you have film And you had those docu-reels, but you didn't have television where you could literally put it into people's living rooms in the ways that it happened then. That's when you started seeing the shift or the cultural shift um, around what black people had already been doing and fighting for for decades um, at that point, even longer than that. Um, Because other people became aware of what was happening. And the United States, quite frankly, was embarrassed, um, particularly President Kennedy. Uh, and so then you start seeing this shift in this movement in terms of civil rights um, policies, in terms of you see the big cases happening um, and you see a lot of protesting that was was happening anyway, but being broadcast, particularly by African-American students um, uh, in that particular civil rights movement, of course, Dr. King and, and other folks, Malcolm X and so forth and so on. Um, this particular moment, I think, is similar uh, in that you have the intersection of technology um, and, you know, this is Web 2.0 or uh, all of the social media that we have. Um, and you also have, um, and the, oh, in the, before the allies, I, I would argue, most of them came out of the religious movements. Mm-hmm. So in this one, Thanks. you still have the intersection of race, racism, right? So these high profile uh, killings. Um, Ahmad Arbery is a story I elevated. Uh, some people credit me with breaking it, but I definitely elevated it and got it out there. Um, but you have these high-profile killings that are really being shared all over on social media. You actually have the videos being shared all over on social media. You don't have to wait. Um, If you recall Rodney King, you either saw it in your news. You might see it in the classroom later, but it's not a video that's widely seen unless you watch a documentary or there's a retrospective. But we see these things all of the time. So that compiled with... Our allies and our allies are different um, because there's a lot more white allies, but they're not coming out of religion. They're actually turning away from religion and right. really turning towards their friends. And um, I would say this is indicative of millennials and Gen Zers and people who are in uh, generations behind uh, ours. Um, but they're turning uh, uh, towards each other, and they're able to see um, the things that we couldn't see. Like we saw sporadically, but they saw all. They see all of the time, and they understand that. Something has to be done because they care about their friends. They care about their relatives. They care about Mm -hmm. people of color, black people in particular. Um, They care about whether they survive and what have you. So I think that's what's different. You know, you don't have you know, now people are conservative in religious movements before they were the progressives. Now they're Mm -hmm. the conservatives. Right. Um, And so these kids are coming out of a different place where they are focused they uh, really curate their own experiences. They make their own decisions. They tell their parents to go to hell. You know, they, they, <laughs> um, they hold people accountable. They will cancel right. you in a minute while right. asking you for an extension for a grade. <laughs> but um, these are the, this is that population. So what's different is the types of folks that are now coming out. And that's why you're seeing so many. They're not shackled, so to speak, um, in the ways that uh, prior generations were. Okay. Thank you.
3: For yeah, that. I, I mean I, I really I agree with that. The only thing I would I would add to that is that I think that what's different about this moment is uh too, is that consumers and people in general, to the point about technology, just have more voice than they've mm. ever had before, That's right? right? and it's a more immediate voice. And so not only what television did was put those horrific images in front of a world audience, what technology and social media have, has done is that they're now put those images into your, into your hand, into your device, right in front of your face, but you also now have people with the ability to see the reactions and responses of the collective as well. They, people get to see immediately this horrific thing, but then they get to see also how people are responding to it in almost real time. I think that a lot of a lot of the education around what the black experience really is for many white people who now are in the space of I call them baby allies. Like they y'all ain't allies mm-hmm. yet. You have <laughs> you, your, your empathy muscles are getting are getting a little <laughs> bit stronger, and we're and and we're rooting for you, right? Um, to become to get over the finish line as true allies. But people are now saying are now have the ability to see that horror and then go down the rabbit hole of of information for getting information for themselves. Whereas television was a one way um, was a one way kind of static experience. We're experiencing the voices of black people commenting on and, and, and reacting and responding to these horrors in a way that we could have never seen before in, um, you know, in the civil rights era, just because of, we just weren't that connected to each other.
2: Right. Right. And Drew, while you're speaking, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, there's been protests all over the country. We've seen it in the UK. We've seen it in Australia, which I think is amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, we went from the protests from, you know, talking about, you know, police brutality. We talked about Black Lives Matter. Uh, We've talked about social justice. So, you know, it's gone from the streets and demanding that we look at this systemic 400-year-old pandemic of racism. But now that's just not it. So everyday people, consumers are now saying, okay, companies, now you guys have to step up. So what do you think about that being different this time? And would you attribute that to to technology? Because before companies really haven't been called to the plate like they're being called now.
3: Oh, hell yeah. It's definitely consumers have more voice and more choice than ever. Um, 42% of African-Americans expect for brands, uh, expect for the brands that they purchase to support social causes. That's 16% higher than our non-Hispanic white counterparts. My belief is that black families have always felt that way, that that's not a new phenomenon. What's different now is that we have more voice in social spaces. So we have the ability to call out hypocrisy that you can't, you can now not say I'm going to, I'm going to, um, contribute $400 million to racial, um, to fight racial injustice, PepsiCo, and then keep Angie Mama on the, on the, on the syrup. Right. Right, And so there's now a vehicle for black people to talk back to brands. And what we know is that you know, Jay-Z said it, but we, but people like Alexis, like you and Pepper Miller and tons of other people have been saying forever that African-Americans drive culture. And so the the, the flip of that is you can't get our rhythm without acknowledging our blues at this point. Mm-hmm. African-Americans are just done with all of the, with you having... It's not okay for us anymore that you have one or no shiny black person um, helping to run things at the company. We're talking back to brands. We're demanding more for brands. We now have a mechanism to share information. So when the brand is is not um, holding up their, their part of the bargain with us as the consumers who drive many of these product categories, we're saying, hey, not only is this not the way to go, but we need to let them know that this isn't the way to go. I will never forget when when Viacom put sorority girls on VH1. They had a whole season done. And Black women um, who were college educated and part of Greek letter organizations said, oh, now y'all can go, y'all can throw um, drinks in each other's faces, inexpensive clothes on all these other shows, but you're not gonna do it in my letters, right? That show was taken off the air after one episode because black women went and saw all of the all of the advertisers and said, do you know that this is what's on? That this is how your your marketing and your branding dollars are representing me and my community. I won't stand for it. I won't have it. Right. 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 That is the power that we have. African-Americans, you know. We have an incredible amount of social and digital currency. We gave away $25 million of free advertising to Popeyes over chicken sandwiches in less than 11 days, just just last year, right? Right, And so imagine what happens when we coalesce around a singular idea. Imagine what happens when we use these digital spaces. And so I think that that's where that's where brands are operating out of one. They're operating out of the demand that is happening in um, in the black community that we're just demanding more. You have not because you ask not. Right. We need to be Mm -hmm. asking brands for more. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And we are now seeing, too, that black consumers have this have this expectation, but also black employees inside of the organizations are having expectations as well. Mm-hmm. Most large corporations have black employee resource groups. Right. And what black employees are now taking a page from their gay and lesbian counterparts who said who who got together and told the company, oh, you're not going to be you're not going to support this. And still we go still show up at work every day in the same way that we have shown up. You can't do that externally. And then. And not think that it impacts us internally, right? Right. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that as well. It, black employees are not having it, black consumers are not having it. And we all have been talking about all of the reparations that need to come from that need to come from government. We still need those checks, by the way, United States. But <laughs> if you look at <clears throat> if you look at the level of financial commitment that has come from corporate America. In the last 90 days, Black Enterprise did a roundup that they got to about 2 billion that had been pledged. When I do the math on on just the tech industry, I get to 2 billion without without even going outside of tech. Right. right. And yeah. so here's what here's my thought on that Where where okay, we're we're the watchdog organizations, we're the accountability police. All of these organizations can't give all their money to Color Change in NAACP. Right. and NAACP. And some of the Black advocacy groups don't even take money, right? They won't even right. take that money. So right. what, where is the, the onus is now on us to ask for more because mm-hmm. we deserve more, right? Right, right. Ask for more. Whatever it is that we're getting now, take that and add tax to it because- I promise you, if an organization cannot tell you how many Black folks they have in management, there's no, there are no Black people in the C-suite on the website. If they can't tell you how much money they spend on Black media and with Black, um, and Black suppliers, if they can't, if they can't tell you any of those in answer any of those questions, that might be the next thing that we say is, okay, well, why do we spend our money? Why do we invest our, our social capital on them?
2: Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, you said so much there that we could unpack and we already knew Nadia and I talked about this. We were like, this could be a two-parter, a three-parter. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to really keep it focused. But you mentioned a couple of things that I want Nasinga to respond to. So we've seen all the statements that come out, that have come out. Um, Some have been met with skepticism. Some have been met with straight up criticism. Um, Then we've seen the donations and the things that companies said they're going to commit to. And then, you know, Nasinga, you and I had the conversation, you know, about Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's, and I was telling Nasinga last night I bought some Land O'Lakes butter. My family has always bought Land O'Lakes butter. I'm a brand loyalist. I'm unwrapping in the package, and I said, oh, the Native American lady's gone, okay? (laughs) They got rid of her and didn't even publicly state they were getting rid of her, like Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's did. So, Nasinga, what I want to hear from you is, for Black consumers... What we've seen so far from corporate America in particular, what we've seen, is it enough? What do they need to do to help? What do you think you're looking for?
4: Yeah, well, I just got to say on the land of lakes, um, the designer of that original um, logo was Native American. And that Land of Lake symbol um, actually had Native American imagery in it and had a very famous river in it or what have you. So his son has pushed back on them canceling it based on these other discriminatory representations of Native Americans. Just got to put that out there. What's so there's uh, been a lot of information on that. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, what they're um, what they're doing I'm sorry what was the question one more time
2: so the question is what companies are doing because I don't know if you all have seen the meme oh yeah I got where you. it said mm-hmm. something like okay Aunt Jemima's gone Uncle Ben's gone you know these things oh, okay you. but what about that police brutality yes. <laughs> it's like we are talking about all I'm these things you. but like when are I'm we going to address the issue at hand so what is it that you think companies really need to do Okay. to be active and, you know, to really, you know, meet black consumers and, and African-Americans to really address this issue of inequality and social injustice. Thank you. So
4: I was going to say more than that. <laughs> um, I'm actually quoted in a USA Today article today about this very same thing. And I think the changes, even though they're needed, um, I mean, they knew Aunt Jemima was racist when they created her 113 years ago, right? So thanks. Um, you know, they knew Uncle Ben's was racist when they created him. Thanks. Um, I don't know, like all these superficial changes, which are important, right? So here's the thing. Those changes needed to be made a hundred years ago. (laughs) Okay. Glad they finally got to it. All right. Right. Cause you know, I don't think we should be inundated with, uh, the most vile and racist images of ourselves, um, that come from a completely different era um every day like there's no need there was never a need but we certainly don't need it in 2020. um having said that i would like to co-sign on what drew said i'm like you know um we need to have more black people more representation in these corporations we need to have people in the c-suite we need to have people on the board of directors um and so i'm more interested in that you know a lot of a lot of places uh the series that i'm doing on Um, uh, Black Press USA right now is focusing on HBCUs and you know you see a lot of the press releases about the money that's given and all of that which is great it's needed absolutely should have been done before but it's great it's needed we want it keep it coming however we also would like to have some pipeline programs for our students to come into your corporation and one day run it that would be nice You know, we also like some pipeline programs into the entry level positions that you have. We'd also like to have more access to capital and becoming stockholders and shareholders and things of that nature. So there are things that you can be doing um, that are really progressive and really, I would say revolutionary. Um, other than, you know, what I call this, you know, ABCD approach, uh, or traditional approach, which is, oh, we'll change the brand. We'll say, we're sorry. Um, we'll appoint some high profile person as a, uh, uh as a director vice president, senior vice president of diversity and inclusion, even though they have no training in it. And there's like a lot of training you can have in this area, right. a lot of training you can have in this area, right. but they're like this black person. Yeah. You, yeah. Okay. You, you do it. Yeah, we're going to give you this salary, we're going to do this or whatever, and then we're going to handcuff you because you really don't have any training. And no no power. And no power. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to be able to say that we have you in this role, even though you know you really can't do anything to change or to shift the culture in the company, all right, or to get more access to your employees of color and in general and your Black employees specifically. So I think that we need to be more thoughtful and intentional in terms of what we ask for, Um, I think that we need, and that's why we have people like Drew in place and PhDs um, who do this kind of work all the time to really measure, uh, uh, you know, to ask for measurable outcomes. For example, what percentage of African-Americans were in the C-suite in 2020? Then they're going to come back and ask in 2022. What percentage of African-Americans are in the C-suite in 2022, right? Right. Gonna, there should be something in place, some tool, some program or what have you that should help to increase that. That should be measurable now. So you really just want to look at this outcome and see the uh, the change that might have occurred. So, And negative outcomes aren't necessarily bad. That just gives you an, uh, 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 an idea of what you need to improve, right? right. Um, but like this, um, you know, just doing these very, what I call, superficial things that's great for public relations no shade to public relations you know i love y'all um and i used to do public relations myself back in the day um, so it's very important it's very important um, but that's that's great but what needs to really happen is that internal work has to be done and uh, people who are already there need to make sure that it's happening people who are putting pressure on brands need to make sure that they know that that's also what the expectation is being very clear on what the expectations is uh, expectations are And then those of us who do research and activism and things of that nature nature need to hold the companies accountable. So then you can say, listen, it's been five years since June 2020 and nothing has changed in your C-suite. You don't have anybody African-American on your board of directors. You know, um, you don't have any products that are targeting or geared towards African-Americans. You don't have any African-American designers. You don't have any African-American vendors. Uh, And so then you can say, well, we're not going to use you anymore because it's been five years. You've had enough time. So I think that's what's different too, Lex. Um, and I think that's what Drew said as well, um, is that we're, we're we're done. We're You're you're out of time. You're done, all right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's all oh, we need. To, no, you don't get any more time. Time is up. Time, time is, is up. up. You don't time get any up. more time. You've had plenty of time. You've had over a hundred years for some companies um, to make these changes or to make these shifts. We've had other social movements. We've had other civil rights movements. You could have done it then, you didn't. So now you have to do it. And if you don't right. do it, you know, we're just not gonna um, use your products. We're not gonna support your company. And not only are we not gonna do that, we're gonna tell people why out in social media. And hopefully most of it will be informed, um, which is always a challenge, but most of it will be informed um, and will have some type of impact, measurable impact. Cause I'm like, right. you can't measure how you changed it, changed the company um, to be more inclusive of African-Americans. Certainly you'll be able to measure how the exclusion of African-Americans from uh, your company in various ways um, has impacted your bottom line. Thank you for all of
2: that. See, this <laughs> is what, this is what I knew was going to happen. I knew you all were going to talk and address so many <laughs> issues that some of my questions. I was like, don't need <laughs> to ask that." I, I to I, ask I, that. not answer the
4: question? No, I'm no, sorry. you answered the question and more. But
2: but it was a perfect segue because what I wanted Andrew to do. You know, as a marketing communication professional that has worked in major brands, has been recognized by, you know, PR Week. So you have the PR and the marketing perspective and also the DNI perspective. I want you to build on what Nasinga just talked about, thinking about the people who might be watching us on Facebook Live or listen to this as a podcast later. What is it that us communications professionals can do? to counsel our clients or our CCOs or our CEOs? Because like Nasinga said, you know, yes, we definitely need to address the DNI, and please feel free to address that. But also externally, what are some of the things? Because, you know, they've been doing mentoring. They've been writing checks. They've been doing like all these things. Nasinga said, yeah, they already did that. What should companies be doing now?
3: Um, one, companies have to recognize the fact that, um, Consumer confidence in all of the traditional institutions that we have always had a lot of confidence in has waned. People no longer trust government in the same way. People, you look at the trust barometer, people no longer trust right. like traditional institutions. They're not going to church as much anymore. Right. And the reality is that so many so many people are looking to corporations mm-hmm. and their employers to be a moral agent of some sort. And that is very new for PR people. That is very Mm -hmm. new for for uh, for people who are counseling senior executives and getting executives to really wrap their mind around the company being on the right side of history Mm as as they proceed to trying to make money. That is a very new concept for a lot of organizations. It should not be, but it is, right? right. It, was, right. it was never considered before that it would be so important to the bottom line that a company be on the right side of history as it, ha- as it is right now. right now. And so right. what I think you've got to do is you've got to scare the shit out of your clients who are, who are inside of organizations and say to them, here are all the instances where people have gotten this wrong. And here were the reactions and responses to it, right? And help them to see that one, if you don't, if you don't apply some cultural competency to these mm-hmm. decisions, and really, really um, engage people who have done this work um, internally and externally, and not try to force fit what your previous campaigns and all of those things have been into the current zeitgeist, because exactly. this moment is different from any moment that's come before. This consumer base is different from any mm-hmm. consumer base that has come before. Mm-hmm. I would counsel them to say, what you need to do is to stop playing checkers with, uh, with d and and with um, multicultural consumer engagement and start playing chess like you do with every other aspect of operations inside the company. Mm-hmm. You cannot just say, Oh, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes, just do a real simple solution to this. I'm going to put out a statement and it's going to say we stand with black people and then not think about the next 10 steps of that in that your black employees hate coming to work or the fact that you've got a a product that's sitting on the shelf that has racist undertones. Right. you got to you got to apply the exact same rigor to your engagement strategy for people of color and people who are other in some way that you apply the that same rigor that you apply to everything else that the company does. Right. It right. has to be as important if not more important because 92% of the population growth that has happened in this country in the last 15 to 20 years has come from communities of color. We're not talking about who your consumers are tomorrow or who your workforce is tomorrow. We're talking about who your consumers are today. Too We're day. talking about the fact that if you don't have you don't have people inside of your organization that reflect your consumer base You don't have the benefit of black and brown people and queer people being the canary in the coal mine for you. When you start talking, pulling out these strategies that say, oh, the black people will love this and (laughs) and you don't have any black people in there or you have one shiny black person, you are going to be in trouble. Right. Right. Right.
1: one, One
3: shiny black person inside the organization is how you get. A whole lot of epic failures, right? Yes, because right. you never know what that shiny black person is is willing to do or say to stay right. the same shiny black
1: person. Exactly. Right? Exactly.
3: And so you can't you can't look at it like that. You would never um, have a Asia pack strategy with one Asian person advising you on it, or uh, one Asian person advising you on one aspect of it. You would mm-hmm. you would have information you would have outside consultants you would Mm -hmm. have you know you would have data analytics the whole nine yards right that said I think that one you've got to have rigor you got to go out and hire the right people you need the right people internally and externally but I will say when I look at the current class of of corporations who are who have put a stake in the ground Mm
2: -hmm.
3: none stands out to me, as well as PepsiCo. Now, did they? Did mm. they? Did they? Did they? Maybe miss about fifty years and pull an Aunt Jemima off the bottle. Right. Yeah, mm. absolutely. <laughs> but they came. But they came with commitments. One, if you're going to pull out the corporate checkbook to appease your your black employees and your black consumers, four hundred and thirty five million is a good way to start, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. well, you're going to pull out the corporate checkbook. be. Right. But they right. also committed to increasing black, the black manager population by 30%. They committed Mm -hmm. to that. They were going to increase, that they were going to add a hundred black executives to the company, right? Right. At the VP level and above director and VP level and above. And we know for those of us who spend any time in corporate America, that it's that middle management place Mm -hmm. inside the organization. Mm -hmm. People have gotten internships figured out. Oh, they've gotten a a lot of them have gotten entry-level positions figured out that middle management level right there is where a lot of great black talent goes to
1: die in corporate right. America. Right. Right. It's like right. purgatory. Mm-hmm. It's
3: like mm-hmm. purgatory.
2: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
3: I have to remind, I reminded, um, I saw this, um, this image of, uh, of Ruby Bridges recently when she was integrating the schools and they took national guard to integrate the schools to, to let this little black girl go to school. And I saw the signs, the racist signs that those white mothers had outside that school. And I was like, and I was thinking to myself, Ruby Bridges ain't 80. She ain't 70 even. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of those kids that went right. that, that, whose mamas were kissing them with them N-I-G-G-E-R signs um, outside of their school. Mm-hmm raise kids that are in middle management and on school boards and teaching our kids right now today. And you right. think that we don't need policy to protect us. To, we right. don't need policy to in, to protect our, our rights. I say that to say um, brands have an opportunity to get it right. They have right. everything that they need to get it right. They it will require bravery. It will require money and resources because what in corporate spaces does not.
2: You People right.
3: inside these organizations have got to get used to the to the idea that engaging black professionals in your workforce and engaging black consumers will require extra more mm-hmm. than you had anticipated doing and or giving. That's the requirement. And right. you gotta get used to it. If you're not comfortable with it, with it requiring extra effort, you're gonna have a problem.
2: Right, yes, right. gonna be behind. And Drew, I appreciate that you mentioned, you know, the grand majority, because one of the things that I've been saying over the last 20 years, I'm like my argument And my proof points for multicultural marketing really has not changed over the last 20 years. And it's unfortunate that corporate America really now is just starting to wake up because they're kind of being forced to wake up. But you're right. We're talking about who are your majority consumers today and who's driving the sales, the growth, and the profit margins. It is people of color. African-Americans, we love to buy stuff. We
4: love to buy stuff. So, Can I ask okay. a quick question of yes. you, Alexis? Yes. Because um, I know you do some of this work, um, and I hear what Drew is saying, and I think mm-hmm. I agree with everything you say, everything right. you say. Right. Um, but how how do we get people to value uh, Black consumers? Because we've been a major, I mean, trillion, trillions of dollars um, right. we spend in consumer spending. We're the largest group, have been, I mean, I don't re- recall a time when there wasn't, even when I was undergrad. I mean, I know we were emerging, right? And right, then we right. were. So I was right. like, how do you, um, what you know? What ideas, I guess, do both of you all have uh, in terms of getting people um, to value Black consumers? Because I think that's another piece of it. You know, yeah, mm. we have all of this, what's happening in this particular moment, but right. we've been spending lots of money um, right. with these brands. So right. how, how do you fix that? Right. One, I
2: think that's the... M- trillion dollar question because the african-american consumer market we have 1.3 trillion dollars in buying power and we mm-hmm. outspend in almost every single category um getting the getting brands to value us i think is still um the challenge and i think it's symptomatic of what's going on just in our society, period. One of the things that I've said to people and, you know, even clients, because I've had lots of phone calls about this over the last couple of weeks, you know, from clients to my colleagues in the PR industry who don't look like me, who want to know, you know, how do you counsel and all that. And one thing I say to them is we have to remember corporate America is a microcosm of America. So if, if Joe Black is walking down the street and he's a racist and he hates Black people, when he walks through the door of that corporate office with his shirt and tie on and goes through security and walks up to the stairs to the C-suite, doesn't mean he all of a sudden loves Black people and values them. So we are talking about a cultural shift in the overall societal mindset. That has to happen first. And I think it's going to take people like me, like Andrew, like yourself, writing stories and diverse marketing and communications teams. There's a huge problem with that. We keep talking about people on the C-suite levels. When you start looking at some of these MarCom teams, there is not a lot of people of color. And if there were, we wouldn't run into a lot of these issues. So it's really going to take that and it's going to take leadership who, who are open to the dialogue, the conversation, and who truly and sincerely and authentically want to be a part of this change and that they get it. Because one thing I've always said, and I'm not supposed to be like the panels here, but one thing I've always said is multicultural marketing, Blacks, Hispanic, APAC, whatever. It's not about this is just the nice thing, the right thing to do. The business case is there. And if you're in this space and you represent companies and you're consumer base is diverse, which I can't really think of any brand or category where it's a monolithic consumer base. If you're not speaking to all those audiences, then you're not doing your job. Mm -hmm. So I think the value Nasinga is going to come with time and education, honestly. So Mm -hmm. I'm getting a note that I could, we have like 5,000 more questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) We really have like five. But we do want to open it up to Q&A. And if we have a little bit more time, I do want to ask you guys some closing, just one closing
1: question. We have questions, Nadia? We do have questions. So the first question, I think we have two so far, but if you can hurry up and get your question, if you're watching now, and you didn't type your question in the comment section, go ahead and do it now. Our first question was from Kate Finley. And she said, what do you think about the Facebook boycott that's brewing right now for corporations to not run ads in July. I knew this was going to come up.
2: (laughs) Nasinga, you want to talk about that? One of the things that we've been um, in high cake talking about, you know, in our community is July 7th when African-Americans, we're basically supposed to have a boycott, a blackout. We're not supposed to buy anything, anything at all. So Nasinga, can you speak to that in addition to the Facebook boycott.
4: Um, Yeah, so the blackout has been planned. Um, There's a group on Facebook that's been around for four years that calls themselves blackout and they're an activist group and they've been doing this kind of work for a long time, like four years. Um, And then there's another group that has a blackout that is coming in July 7th and you might have seen the other blackout. Um, that um, happened a few weeks ago, but basically black consumers are not supposed to are, are going to commit to not uh, only spending their dollars with African-Americans and not spending any money outside of the African-American community. Um, I think that um, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, most recent um, rebuke of um, uh, the president's um, advertising finally after people have been asking and it's been, I mean, people have been asking since before this election, um, this last election, 2016, um, to get rid of the ads because they were, uh, so many of them um, were uh, ill-informed and outright lies. Um, And so I think that um, people, Mr. Zuckerberg, who has before been reluctant um, to make any of those changes, as opposed to Twitter, that is now saying, "Hey, this is not," you know, they're putting their little tags up there that are saying, "Hey, this is not accurate," or "this is not," uh, this is not factual, or this is not what have you. Um, Facebook, I think, has been forced. Twitter really has faced uh, has forced Facebook's hand because now it makes um, Facebook look uh, questionable in terms of why they wouldn't do the right thing or, as Drew say, be on the right side of history. Um, so I think that uh, this upcoming boycott uh, is needed. You know, I think that um, Mr. Zuckerberg appears to be awake, but I think he needs to be kept awake. Um, and to know that, it, you know, in the same way that black users are policed, because black users are policed on Facebook uh, in terms of how um, you can be reported for, um um, you can go to Facebook jail. we we'll just say that that's the term <laughs> that people say. I went to Facebook jail today. I posted an article or I shared an article. And for some reason they told me that I had shared something that I couldn't, they locked me out and said, I, you know, I want punishment for two weeks or whatever. Um, and it might be just because you share an article that has something to do with race or whatever, but it seems like people are very easily able to, um, disable our products. For instance, the Burton wire, my Facebook page was alive forever And I haven't gone back to it because um, they took it down because somebody reported it as being racist. It's news. It's African-American. We don't we weren't even doing it back then. So, um, you know, it was all fact based. But because people reported it, trolls reported it as being racist, um, they they banned me from it or blocked me from it for a year. Um, So I think that um, the boycott is necessary. um, And I think that Mr. Zuckerberg is a little bit late uh, and coming to the realization that Facebook has, can be a tool for greatness and do wonderful things. Um, but it also can be a tool um, which disenfranchises already disenfranchised populations. And if we're really going to allow everyone to be on Facebook and everyone's rights should be protected, um, then we should also be protected uh, in the same ways that they allow other people to kind of build boundaries around them, themselves. So that's what I think.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Next
1: question, Nadia. Drew, did you have a comment on Facebook? Like, I know you were just dying for...
3: <laughs> nah, I'm <dead>. No, I'm okay, good. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, Drew, this next question is directed to you from Deesha Barnett. And she said... <laughs> hi, <laughs> yeah, she, Disha." She said, hi, Drew.
3: <laughs> hey, Deesha.
1: Um, and also, a couple people quoted you, Drew. They said, you can't have our rhythm without acknowledging our blues. I like that. <laughs> right. Um, so her question is how do we as black leaders hold companies accountable for diversity and inclusion without disparaging the few black leaders who have broken down walls to enter white corporation spaces corporate spaces? <laughs> and then she has to say, Many show up as activists in boardrooms pushing for change every day in white environments, referring to us as the shiny black leaders. I get it, but it doesn't acknowledge the role we play in moving things forward. Hey, Drew. <laughs>
3: Hey boo. All right, so <laughs> this is this is definitely uh this is definitely one of those things where I will say, um, I get it. There are def- there are I have been one of those one of those black people st- um speaking truth to in corporate spaces. And I can be completely honest, there have been there have been situations where that cost me. I mean, where I paid a price for that, right? Um and I don't mind uh, there being shiny black people in corporate America. My my statement about that is there needs to be more. And if you are and if you are the only one in your organization, you have failed,
0: right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm.
3: I, I think that what that means is that. Um is yeah, there's room for a bunch of shiny black people. We need a bunch of shiny black people because when two or more <laughs> gathered, we make a lot of other stuff.
4: Right? And I so, can't wait for the memes.
3: <laughs> so my my perspective on that is
4: a lot of there are a
3: lot of people, there are a lot of black people who sat silent in meetings um a long time ago so that there could be opportunities for the next class of black folks to come into these spaces. My perspective is that, um, <clears throat> that moment, that, that perspective and that way of handling it was needed at that moment. This moment needs a whole new black executive. This moment needs a black executive who is who is smart and intentional and strategic mm-hmm. Um, who is not afraid of another black professional coming into their sphere of influence and their space, who wants there to be a, a coalition of great black people at the office and at work. And here's the deal is that if you're from another, if you are from another generation, you need to still, you need to be building that pipeline in private and in public. And so I've been that young black executive that has come into a space where there were people from a different generation there who did not, who did not give me that, um, that warm welcome or that guidance that I needed. And I had to get it outside, but I got it because there were, there were black folks and people of color who said, I see you over there and I'm not going to let you struggle out there by yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to give you everything that somebody else put into me so that you don't want make the mistakes that I made so that you're a better executive than me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the thing. Um, and I know Disha does this too, is that that's the thing that I always say to my mentees when I get, you know, my PR legend award at the end of my career, I want the all of the shiny black folks that I gave jobs to, that I gave perspective to, that I gave advice to, um, to be. That would be my award. Is all of those people because I tell my mentees and my little brothers and my little and my little sisters in PR is that don't be like me. I want you to be better than me. I want you to go yeah. so much higher right. in these organizations than me. Right. Cause right. then I want you to hire me as a consultant when I'm old. So I have some work
4: to go with, <laughs> with
3: your outfits to work, but that is, that's my answer to that. And, uh, and I love that question from, um, from Deesha as one shiny black person in corporate America to another one.
2: I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, one thing drew, and we're going to close with one final question, but one thing drew that you said, and I've been saying this a lot over the last two weeks and you've said, you've used the word courage and courageous a few times. And for us, it's my belief for us to really make a difference and to overcome, you know, some of these social injustices or many, many that we're having, it's really going to take courageous brands and it's going to take brands that have leaders that are not going to be so worried about what's the backlash How much of the consumer segment am I going to lose? Like you said, they're going to have to stand on the side of what's right. What do you want your legacy to be? This picture is much, much bigger. It is about business. It is about the business case, Um, but it's bigger. It's bigger and it's definitely a part of your legacy. And every single person that are in positions that that we're in. You know, if you're African-American like us, then yes, you definitely need to make sure you're bringing more people into the fold. We do need more shiny Black people. We need more shiny Black people in influential decision-making positions. So if we're in these companies, we got to make sure we're pulling people up. And for those of us that are on Facebook right now who don't look like us, like my beautiful friend, Kate Finley, who's called in, you know, making sure that, you know, your clients have diverse teams, that your teams look diverse. You know, you, everything has to start within before you can go out. So, one of the things I've been saying, and I said this today, um, somebody said, What do you think about this cultural movement? And I said, You know, it's, it's a cultural movement, but, and it's a cultural moment in time, but it's also, um a pivotal moment in time and I do think that we are on the brink of something and I might be being a little optimistic because listen I know that we cannot undo 400 years of oppression in like three months (laughs) that's not gonna happen (laughs) but I am wondering you know I think it's a cultural shift I think it's a cultural shift in America and I think it's a cultural shift in corporate America I wanna know from you two, as our final and closing question, do you all believe we're at a turning point in American history? And do, are you optimistic that we're gonna see real change happen and give one thing that people can do, particularly our audience members can do to affect real change? Nasinga.
4: Ooh, well, you know, I am a cynic and a critic. So um, I will say I'm optimistically cautious. That's what uh, it feels different, but I feel like America has lots of moments um, that mm. people like to pretend are movements. Um, so I need to see if this moment we're having has legs and has, uh, and that's what I was saying about the uh, images, you know, that are in the advertising. Um, you know, it has to go beyond just the superficiality of it, right? It has to go beyond just the, Oh, I'm sorry, and changing this, but you know, really making major changes that are going to shift the culture of the organization, and thereby shift the culture of America. Um, you know, we do vote with our dollars uh, in a capitalist uh, society. We do, um, and so that's always a power that we've had. Uh, so I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic, but it's not like we haven't done this before. It's not like we haven't had these major uh, cultural shifts before. And it just seems like we always end up back where we started. Um, And so I'm, I'm I'm thinking of ways in which we can sustain, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this change. And I think that's what we need to be thinking about. Um, And one of those ways um, I think is to um, really take, look at your favorite company, you know, um, look at your favorite company and look, you know, or when you get a donation, look at that company and see who's at that company. You know, uh, these companies have very robust and beautiful website. Um, but look who's at that company. Look at who's empowered at that company. Look at who's in the C-suite, um, uh, who are the executives um, and look at who's on the board, who's on the advisory board and things of that nature. And And really... Um, take time to contact them, you know, if indeed you don't see yourself represented at all in any way, shape or form, or um, there's one company I will not mention on here, um, but uh, they have one African-American period and they just gave a lot of money uh, to a a few schools. But um, I would love to um, see that company more diverse um, and diversified in those upper levels and things of that nature. So I think the one thing you can do is to ask those concrete questions publicly. I mean, you know, whatever channel you can do it, a lot of them have contact us. You don't have to um, put people on blast necessarily. You can write a letter. You can do a letter writing campaign. You can ask for a meeting, a request for an informational meeting. Um, There are lots of different ways that you can communicate with people. But um, I would say that you need to, we need to start holding companies accountable based on their measurable outcomes. And one of the ways that we do that is to pay attention To who they're hiring, who they're firing. I make my students read um, Variety and Hollywood Reporter. They hate me for it most of the time. (laughs) But I make them read it because I was like, you should read If you read this enough, you will be able to know where Nadia is going when she leaves Precise. True. You'll right. know where at, where Andrew is going when you, he le- leaves recites. You'll know when a job opens up and they'll say, oh, Alexis Davis-Smith is exiting to go to such and such or whatever. You'll know who the next person is is coming in if you read those things every single day. So I'm not saying you have to have that kind of attention to it, but pay attention. Pick your company, your favorite company, and hold them accountable.
2: I love that. Drew, can you tell us how are you feeling? And then leave your takeaways for... Um, our communications professionals as well.
3: Yeah, I would say, for me, I, I too am cautiously optimistic. I was cautiously optimistic when Barack Obama got elected, and I saw mm. young, I saw young white kids crying because Barack Obama was elected, and I, it felt, it felt like something was happening. Um, right. And what I didn't know was what was happening was going to lead to what is happening now. Right, right,
4: right, right. right.
3: and well. so. I am I am cautiously optimistic but I'm not optimistic because of what white folks are doing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: With Obama I was optimistic because white folks voted for a black president. Wow. Right? Like I was <laughs> I was cautiously optimistic. I was optimistic because of that. Mm-hmm. I'm optimistic this time for because of what black folks are doing. Right. right. And black right. folks are building coalitions with each other across the mm-hmm. diaspora and, mm-hmm. and, and lots of, and white, and there are a lot of white people who are coming along who are coming along on that ride with right. us. And I appreciate them. Tell your, call your cousins, tell your friends, tell, tell the 53% of white women who uh, voted for Trump last year, get some of them on board for, for, uh, for what needs to happen new in America. Um, it feels, it feels a little bit different because of the black folks. Black mm-hmm. folks are demanding more. We are, we are, we are no longer really settling for the crumbs that fall off the table. We right. are
4: now
3: really starting to demand more and pulling up a chair and said, if, 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 if I don't eat, nobody eats because, because this is a table that I built. I built the table and I cooked the food, right? So if I can't eat from this table, nobody can. And I think that the way black folks are feeling empowered and that they have this voice now, I think is very different. We have to keep our foot on the gas with it though,
4: Mm. is that we
3: have to be conscious consumers. And I give a lot of, you had, uh, you had um, Cheryl Grace of Nielsen on uh, a while ago and, um, one of the things, and she's a former colleague and an executive that I have a ton of respect for. And one of the things that I inherited from her when I took over multicultural marketing and and U.S. consumer marketing was the Conscious Consumer campaign that Nielsen did years ago. And mm-hmm. we flat out said to African-Americans, listen, do, there, there are a handful of questions that you should ask yourself before you decide to spend money with an organization. Does the CEO of this company have any black... Executives reporting to them, you know does yeah. this company support black advocacy groups like the Urban League, like color Change, like Black Lives Matter right. companies support political issues that protect the black community. You need to know where some of these lobby dollars of the companies that you love and spend money with? who are they lobbying for what is their what, what are those government mm-hmm. agendas of those people right um, what percentage of if, if it's if it's your favorite you know, Burger Joint, what percentage of the franchise owners are Black? Can you go to the one of the Black franchise stores, right? Like conscious consumption, does the company hire and promote Black employees in in the stores and at the corporate level, right? Right. Um, Does the company, you know, support Black community events? You know, can, if I go to Juneteenth before 2020, would I have seen any of these companies at the Juneteenth celebration, or or doing Juneteenth t-shirts, right? Um, and are they hiring, you know, <laughs> black organizations to do the billions of dollars worth of vendor work that they need? That's conscious consumption. Right. It takes a second. It takes a moment. But I think that we as black people, we have the power to do that now, because I can tell you that there are a ton of product categories that would collapse and fail without black consumer dollars. Mm. Conscious consumption to me is the number one thing. I think us demanding more is the number two thing. The The final thing I would say is. Follow the money for every single one of these corporations that have made these big, grandiose gestures
1: mm-hmm. out the
3: corporate checkbook. Where is that money going? Where, what's the website for it for if I need if I am a black business and you committed ten million dollars to black owned businesses? Where's the website where I can get my grant? Because I need to share it with me and my mama, right?
1: And me, and me. you.
3: If you have exactly, <laughs> if, if this organization has committed, if this organization has yeah. committed to increase their. Um, supplier diversity spend by thirty percent. Where does it said on the? Where wh- where can I find where you are at, where, where you I are today? Because right. I got some businesses I want to send to you, and I need to. Right. What's the website? Who's the person I should call? Like, can you put their number on the website? And right. those are the things that I'm that I'm saying. We have to hold these companies accountable for it because many times these things will move on to the next press release, right? And we're not. And I. This is what mm-hmm. I'm personally going to do. And what I'm challenging my friends to do is to buy some, uh, to buy one or two shares of stock in companies yes. that have made these commitments. So when the proxy statement comes to me, I can I can uh, formulate my question that I want answered in. Mm-hmm. Um, in the annual report, what I want to see. And I can say, I formulate my question of what I want answered in the quarterly readout, in the quarterly, uh, in the quarterly call about mm-hmm. the earnings, right? Is where do you stand on your five-year commitment of $100 million to Black people? Right. Right. And who is the Black person helping you do that? I would like to know as a shareholder and a stock.
4: I
2: love that. It does feel a little different, but it kind of felt different before, so... Um, but I think we all have an active role in making sure that real change happens. And if there's anything that we want to come out of these podcasts that we do with Culture and Convos, we started this podcast because we realized that in the um, Marcom industry, there really wasn't a podcast that was dedicated to multicultural marketing and speaking to, you know, um, consumers of color so we wanted to have this place to have this dialogue and to talk about these important issues and to give my colleagues some takeaways that they can think about so everything that I've heard tonight we talked a lot about external you know they're writing checks and all that but the main message that I heard was these companies need to get their acts together internally first because otherwise anything else they do is gonna be inauthentic and ineffective. So my PR counselor friends, when you're talking to your clients, you heard all of the levels and things that we talked about, C-suite level, mid-level managers, even talking about recruiting, you know, at the entry level and internships at HBCUs. Diversity is always an issue. People are always saying, I can't find Black people. I don't know why. There's like, more, I don't know how many HBCUs across the country. Like 200 <laughs> HBCUs. But nobody goes to those except a few. So and anyway.
3: call up the Black Student Union at the white schools you're going to. Black say, you go. Don't forget the Black students yep. at the
4: white schools. I know we
1: focused
4: <laughs> on the HBCUs. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. need help too. Thank you.
2: Right, singa right. went to northwestern everyone so yes i did yes, to remind did. us about our the pwi <laughs> experience there are black people there okay. so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in there will be an audio version of this within the next week that will be posted on wherever you listen to your favorite podcast but thank you for joining us nasinga drew i owe you all drinks but when
1: we get together we drink anyway so thank you both <laughs> Appreciate
2: you. <laughs> Nadia, any closing remarks, Ms. Producer?
1: We will have a part two coming soon because the comments are going crazy. So we need you guys to come back on the show. All
2: right. right, Will do. All right. Thank you both. Everybody have a great evening. Thank you for hanging in with us. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: All right, guys. That's a wrap for episode three of Protests and Politics. And I usually have a recap at the end of each episode, but I think y'all got enough gems. So be on the lookout for our next episode. It will be coming soon. And before I forget, if you feel like there's a topic you want us to uncover or you want us to dive into, just feel free to leave us a podcast review or slide in our DMs. Either one. Appreciate y'all. Until next time, peace and Afro beats. This
1: podcast is sponsored by Precise Communications a marketing communications firm based in the heart of Atlanta. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Precise Communications or Instagram at PreciseCom with two M's, A-T-L.